0: Welcome back to the Ways to Flourish podcast, where we discuss how to flourish through our challenges and elevate voices across William & Mary's campus. Today, we are fortunately joined by the Assistant Director of Campus Recreation for Outdoor Recreation, Michael White, and also two of his Tribe Adventure Program trip leaders, Willa Moffitt and Daria Moody. Welcome to all of you. Excited to have you here with us today.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Can you walk us through What is happening in the outdoor recreation program? How is this contributing to our holistic well being?
1: Well, absolutely. The outdoors in nature is inherently therapeutic. And most people can just find that on their own. You can look out a window in a very passive way and see a tree or take six months of your life and hike the Appalachian Trail. So there's lots of ways to get involved, but it can also be a little intimidating, a little overwhelming, uh, not being sure if you have the experience or the equipment. And so the Tribe Adventure Program's purpose is to provide that opportunity for students Um, If they want to go camping and they've never been camping before, we can provide the equipment and an organized trip, do all the risk management involved, set it all up, provide the food and those types of things. So it really is an opportunity for uh, folks to get involved in the outdoors, whether they have no experience or they're an experienced adventurer.
0: And Willa and Daria, as trip leaders, I'm really curious to know what these experiences have brought for you both personally. I'm someone who grew up going
2: outside with my family, and was fortunate enough to have parents who, their idea of a good vacation was backpacking in the Sierra Nevadas, or car camping in Yosemite, and going to really cool places like that. And so, for me, being able to like take those experiences and do something with them in college, but in a very different environment and a very different form, was a kind of a new way for me to expand my outdoor abilities and my leadership abilities. And then on a personal level, I've just found the people that have become the closest to me in my life here in a multitude of different ways. Daria, for example, is one of my housemates. We live with three other people who are also all trip leaders. So clearly it's made a big impact on our personal lives as well.
3: Yeah, and as someone who didn't grow up in a family where we were outside all the time or backpacking or any of that, my first introduction to the outdoors was through a similar program to TAP in my high school, where we went on trips with other students, led by students. So being able to come to college and contribute to TAP in the leadership role was just a really nice way to give back to something that means so much to me, spending time outside and introducing that to other students.
4: You know, one of the things we talk about here at William & Mary are these eight dimensions of wellness So I was just wondering, could the three of you just address the subject of, you know, how does this Tribe Adventure program and Leave No Trace, how does it either provide for or contribute to those eight dimensions?
1: Sure, that's a, a great question. And we were having a conversation about that earlier. And I was saying, of the eight dimensions, I feel that our program addresses seven of those. The only one that I saw maybe we didn't address was financial. And Willa actually brought up a really good point that there is a financial component to it. We try to keep our experiences affordable, if Mm, not free, mm. for most of our students. You know, but they might have a fee like $10 to do a camping trip to offset the food and campsite and those types of things. And so, it gives students an opportunity to, you know, instead of buying two coffees at Aroma, maybe that $10 can go to going on that camping trip. I mean, obviously, people tend to think we're addressing the environmental wellness component because the outdoors is such a key component in the sustainability that we promote. But from a research standpoint, you know, we can look at emotional and mental wellness, intellectual wellness, obviously, physical if you're doing one of the more involved, say, hiking or rock climbing. But I think the thing that comes out of all of our evaluations has been social. The communities that These experiences really build uh, in our students is amazing. Um, And that's the one that students really report on. And obviously, that social and spiritual aspect. You know, many people experience the outdoors from a spiritual Mm. point of view. And we want to make it a safe place for them to be able to not only have that experience, but express it while they're on the trips. And that's where, you know, Willa and Dara and many of our other trip leaders give them that opportunity sitting around a campfire and being able to share their experience.
2: I agree. I think as a student who's also a student leader, it's a way that I've been able to meet new people that I wouldn't necessarily have come across before and be able to provide sort of a peer support role and also a mentorship role and be both a friend and also a leader. For example, I can think of several freshman participants we've had on our Pathways trips that I've remained in close contact with in the past, I guess, two years now since those trips happened And I think that's kind of like after a week long experience, which is really not that long when you think of our entire college careers, the ability to form a bond that close and strong that can last throughout our time at the university is, I think, really special to these kinds of trips and says a lot about what kind of connections can be made while you're in the outdoors.
3: Yeah, I don't think there's anything more exciting to me than a student coming for the first time to a kayak or to hike who's never done it before and walking away from the experience knowing that they want to come back and do it again and feeling refreshed. And I just love that introducing people to the outdoors will give them a new outlet for managing their stress and all that stuff uh, moving forward.
4: You know, these concepts are really important at any time of our lives, but especially now during this pandemic, how does it heighten the, the importance of this? Or, you know, can it contribute to people coping with, you know, this pandemic?
2: I mean, I agree. I think that, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit before, about sort of on a national scale, you see state parks and national parks being overwhelmingly filled at some points with new people who've never experienced the outdoors before, which can be both really exciting and also challenging because, people are experiencing the outdoors for the first time because they've been sort of driven out of their house by boredom or isolation or loneliness. They may not be fully equipped to know how to take care of themselves and take care of the environmental space. And so I think a program like ours is a great, like, facilitator and sort of midway point between being able to do something on your own, but also having people to guide you towards the best possible way. So you can get the most out of the experience, but also give back to the environment in the best way possible.
1: We found that we're serving students now through some of our our reinvented programs that may not have otherwise gone on one of our experiences. Now that we're doing things more on campus since we're not traveling, we historically would do one to three trips off campus every weekend. And without being able to travel, we had to reinvent how how might that look. And so we realized that the population we're serving, they're more comfortable camping out, doing our hammock camping experiences here on campus. And so that's something that's been really powerful for us to realize. Maybe some of these things can be a positive thing moving forward that we will keep. And we may not have tried those otherwise. So it is, it is touching people who are, for the first time, exploring something outside, in a boat, on a trail. And we're able to provide that through these challenging times.
4: I think you bring up a really good point because so many of us think that we're going to go back to the old normal when all this is over. There's so many great parts about this new normal that we can carry through and, you know, continue that we we probably never even thought about in the beginning.
0: And thinking about this through a social lens, I'm really curious about, you know, when you have this experience with your peers, with friends, other people, what is the difference of that experience than say, watching a movie versus this experience that's facilitated in the outdoors What about this enhances that experience and helps to build and strengthen those relationships?
1: Oh, you've opened a whole can of worms there. (laughs) That's a whole line of research. I I think there's lots of things that happen in the outdoors that can contribute to those connections and making them different. Many of us have have studied or heard about flow and this, Mm -hmm. this concept of flow. And how when people are challenged and their skill level meets that level of challenge, they're fully engaged. And they have this very meaningful experience or learning experience. And so I think that is one of many reasons why when they're out, when a student or anyone really is engaged in something outdoors, it's fully immersive, it's challenging, it's different. Sharing that experience with others heightens that sense of connection. People also begin to let their guard down. We find that with a lot of the debriefing. Our, our trip leaders go through training to understand how to question folks to get them thinking. And so they start to talk, and they start to open up about things they might not otherwise. And I'm sure Daria and Willa have had very similar experiences with their, their participants on how they connect in the field.
3: Yeah, I think there's this thing when we go on backpacking trips called, like, tent talk. And basically after an entire day of walking together... Um, You get in your sleeping bags and whoever you're lying next to, you just chat late into the night and people like after a long day go into their tent, acquaintances and come out best friends and then they stay together and they stay friends long after the trip's over.
4: You know, I really want to hear about what's coming up. But before I do, I have a question. And I'm thinking about my mom's best friend who went camping with us once, enjoying the s'mores over the fire until it started raining. She stood up, grabbed her keys for the station wagon, and before she headed for a hotel, she said, I don't do rain. How do y'all handle people who say, I don't do dirt, I don't do mosquitoes, I don't do sunburn? How do we get people to move out of their comfort zone and into their stretch zone? When Darius, you were saying this was not something that you grew up with, yet will it was something that you did. So how do we get people into that stretch zone?
1: Well, I think it all starts with the prep work. Um, before a big program or a trip or things like that, we have pre-trip meetings. We lay out expectations. We make sure that they fully understand what it is they're getting themselves into. So that helps a lot. And as far as I know, we haven't really had anyone just walk away once they hear, oh, I didn't realize we were sleeping on the ground <laughs> while I'm out. Um, but they definitely, they're, they're somewhat aware, they're, they're prepared. And then to be honest, the number one technique to use is keep them busy. We keep Ooh. moving. We don't have a lot of downtime. And so, yeah, they're sunburned or yeah, the mosquitoes are biting them, but they still have three miles to hike to get to the campsite and they're really hungry. So, once we start cooking that food and they smell it, they're, they're involved in the cooking or putting up their tents. And so, You know, they don't have that time afterwards or during the debriefing, they might bring up like, oh, yeah, I got a really bad sunburn. And then we talk (laughs) and we use everything's a teachable moment. Then it's, well, why didn't you have your sunscreen on? And we stop and they put it on, you know, those kinds of things. So, it's we keep them moving. And then afterwards, interestingly enough, some of the, and I know for me personally, some of the the most impactful experiences I've had in the outdoors had some level of misery. Uh, We, we we got reined in for three days and just stayed in the tent and played cards for three days. Or, you know, it was 15 degrees that night and we weren't quite prepared for it to be that cold. And so I, I think those experiences are the ones we really remember and remember in a positive mm. way.
2: Yeah, I was thinking as you were talking about how I think not to fully connect it all the way back to the eight dimensions, but like why the social aspect is so important and integral because I think if you're invested in something being successful – then you're more likely to do what you can to make it successful. Whereas, so if there's no social buy-in by a participant, they're more likely to complain, to say, I'm out, I'm done. So that's why it's so important to start that bonding process at the pre-trip meeting on the very first moment they show up to get into the van so that by the time you do face challenges together, it feels like a team effort and someone doesn't feel, they're less likely to kind of step back and give up or focus on the bad over the good. And we build in things like Rosebud Thorn is a classic, mm-hmm. or high low Buffalo, and to the end of most trips, evenings, to give people an opportunity to kind of vent about any sort of grievance they faced, but then to also have a moment of reflection. And I think that can be really helpful to kind of balance out your perspective. So even if you had a really hard day, and that was all you were thinking about while you're hiking and suffering all day, you also have an opportunity to come up with that memory of when that friend you just met helped you with your water bottle or something small to kind of balance out those experiences. And that's why I think the bonding aspect is such a key part of our trips.
0: So, what are some easy ways that we can sort of facilitate a relationship with the outdoors if that's not something we've explored in the past?
1: I think just continual promotion. You know, we hear every so often we hear like, well, we didn't know that you did that. So really just kind of getting the word out. And I think also dispelling this this idea that you have to be this hardcore outdoors person to mm. to benefit from time outdoors, and that our program is designed just for those hardcore rock climbers. And I'm not going to lie, we've got some <laughs> amazing rock climbers here, and we do some pretty cool trips pre-pandemic and hopefully post. But all of our trips are designed for everybody and just getting that out there that, that you can be a total beginner, a total newbie and never done it before in your life. We have the equipment, we have the trained student leaders to lead it. It's a perfect opportunity. But also if you're an adventurous person and you've done some of this stuff, you can also benefit from joining and really the social aspect. Some of those people who've never done it before are really going to appreciate having you know, somebody on the trip leaders together and that that diversity within the group of experience.
0: And it's spring 2021. You guys have some really great program offerings coming up. What are you most looking forward to? I
1: everything. <laughs> we had to <laughs> we really had to reinvent our program last semester. You know, yes, the outdoors was still open during a pandemic, but the way that we were able to do things and the resources that we could utilize were more challenging and And our trip leaders really stepped up, and we gave folks an opportunity to kind of propose ideas for things we could do that would meet all of our COVID restrictions. And one of the most successful things we did were campfires. Um, We started a series of campfires Fridays and Saturday nights, some s'mores. We picked locations in the Matoka Woods, so some of them were a little bit of a hike, some were a little closer. You know, we have one right, right in front of the rec center, Those campfires were really popular, so much so that now the campus is getting all these propane campfires around. (laughs) And it's a very different, we we think that we're very flattered by that, you know, um, because campfires really, people loved it to sit around a fire. They could be socially distanced. But we also uh, had a lot of success with our hammock campouts. We used hammocks on purpose so that we weren't putting people in tents together. One person in a hammock, they're easy to disinfect. You're out in the open air, so the air is kind of moving past you. It, it was really a no-brainer. And so, you know, the, the campouts. This semester, we've added a few new things. Kayaking indoors in the pool so that people can try that out, kayaking and stand-up paddleboarding. We've also added a series of outdoor skills workshops, little short workshops that our trip leaders put on. I know we have one coming up for outdoor cooking, and they're going to make pad thai. But oh, wow. how we would do it if we were cooking outdoors But we also are looking forward to our boathouse opening back up. That is super popular. And in the past, pre-pandemic, it was kind of a walk-up-and-do activity. We had certain hours that it was open. You could just walk up, we'd check a boat out to you, and and you could paddle. But because of COVID, we've had to make it so it's a register thing. We have time slots, and you register, come out, get a boat, a paddleboard, a kayak, canoe, and go out for your hour and then bring it back in and, and we go from there. And we're really hoping that we're able to open that up March 22nd, but it really depends on the weather. We we go by what we call the 110 rule. It's kind of a widely accepted rule. The air and the water temperature have to equal 110 degrees so that we don't have to wear wetsuits or dry suits that somebody just in a, a life jacket in a PFD could fall in the water and not succumb to the shock of cold water. We don't want people to to have to deal with that. So we got a lot going on this semester for sure.
0: exciting. It's exciting to watch the program grow and see where you're headed. And are activities open to students or faculty and staff who's able to participate?
2: I believe it's anyone who is in the Fusion system. So I believe that is also all staff and faculty who have a William & Mary ID and Fusion profile. But that does mean that especially because... We are having people sign up beforehand for things like the boathouse that we're usually walk up. Parents and family members and visitors from off campus won't be able to participate. But that's also, I think, the best solution to a COVID safety problem.
4: You mentioned that you know people with no experience can go on these trips. But I want to look at the other end of the spectrum, the people with the experience. Who's leading these things?
1: That's a great question. So our student trip leaders go through a lot of training. And I'll I'll let the two of them that are with us talk about that training. Um, But they, when they're hired on as a trip leader, and that's one of a number of positions we have in the outdoor area, it has the most time commitment for training. Um, The first semester after they're hired, they pretty much spend like every weekend, as well as a week-long training to kind of get prepped to do all these things. I'll let them talk a little bit about that.
2: Well, so I was hired my sophomore fall, and Daria was hired at the same time as me, as but she was a freshman. And we were hired in the fall, originally intended to do a challenge course training that fall, but unfortunately it got rained out or the weather destroyed it or something dramatic happened. But um, in the spring, we came back early from our winter breaks and spent, I think, almost a week at Bears Den, which is up in Bluemont, on Mount Weather, learning outdoor living skills, talking about risk management, talking about l and and also camping in that 15-degree weather that mm-hmm. Michael was talking about previously, um, which was definitely a bonding experience in and of itself. But the whole week was, I think, a way for new and old trip leaders to get to know each other, as well as teach one another. And then throughout the semester, we did a paddling training and a rock climbing training, we also concluded our winter training with discussions of soft skills, talking about how to be empathetic, how to listen, how to be a peer mentor and leader, because I think that's a unique position that we hold. It's how to talk to someone as a friend, but also know how to put up boundaries so you can do your job most effectively.
3: It's pretty well-rounded training program for us, so everyone has what they need to lead the trips. But at the same time, all the trip leaders were hired potentially for different reasons. They have different strengths within that holistic training that we get, too. So some people are really, really great at leading canoe trips, and some people are really, really good climbers. And some people are just really, really, really good at talking to people and forming those friendships and that bond. And because our trips are led with more than one trip leader, everyone brings their unique strengths and perspective to the trip, and it's just it's a great team.
1: And all of our trip leaders also get the Leave No Trace Trainer Certification, which is nationally recognized. I just happen to be a master educator, so I can offer that to them. That's part of their winter training. In addition to that, they're all required to complete wilderness first aid training through the National Outdoor Leadership School. And we actually bring them in, and mm. they run that training, so they all have that level of medical training as well. And that carries on with them you know, after they leave if they renew it. Um, So, you know, we we look at national certifications as well to make sure that all our trip leaders are are well-rounded and have all of those skills and risk management things they need, as well as those soft skills of being able to promote that community, promote the eight dimensions of wellness uh, through our program.
4: Now, Willa, you were saying earlier that you and your housemates and you know Daria that y'all all you know bonded through this. And you mentioned Daria, you mentioned bonds and friendships. What do we see happen after people come back? It's not just "Hey, goodbye, everybody." What do you see as far as those friendships and those bonds after these trips are over?
3: Well, I know Willa mentioned with her Pathways group, but also with mine, it's two years on now, and I still get messages, hey guys, do you want to get lunch together? Do you guys want to climb together? Do you want to go for a walk? Um, I had two participants from that trip join us for one of our hammock camping trips this last semester, and I think it's just that it's the bonds that people make outside tend to be very strong and... Persist through the rest of the school year, the rest of their time at college, and potentially beyond that, too.
2: And I think during the year, our trips tend to feature more small friend groups, a few individuals, but often people who come together. So those people might already be friends, but I think they find a new way to connect with one another outside of like their freshman dorm, for example, and sort of this organized but also very fluid space that I don't think college necessarily provides as many opportunities for as in past, especially if you're not into organized sports or other types of activities. So I think it's a great way for people already connected to find a different way to learn about each other.
4: I do have a question from a public health standpoint, and I look around the room right now as we're all wearing masks and two meters apart from each other. How are y'all handling this whole COVID thing from a precautionary standpoint?
1: Well, you know, I mentioned earlier that we really had to reinvent our program. Now, the outdoors themselves is a great place to spread out and get away from other people, but when you're running structured and organized programming, you know, there's things you can't do. We couldn't all get in a van and go out to the Shenandoah Uh -uh. National Park. And so, we really, that summer after COVID kind of hit us, had to reinvent, how are we going to come back and run programming? And what are some things we can do on campus? Can we do overnights? And we partnered. Um, you know, we worked with the police department as well as uh, safety and fire to get fire permits so we could do these campfires. We started looking at, well, how can we clean and disaffect things like tents and sleeping bags? You know, what are the real precautions? And some things we just couldn't. The governor's orders originally said we couldn't use climbing ropes. So, that immediately mm. shut down the challenge course and our climbing wall. So those are, that's half of our program right there is shut down. But we realized we could do interesting things like hammocks. We could camp in hammocks and the hammocks could be cleaned much easier than tents. The other thing is we, we spray things down with, you know, stuff to, to sanitize. And some of that stuff eats up outdoor gear. Anything nylon, uh, things like harnesses, uh, you know, the companies will tell you, don't clean it with any kind of chemical solution. So wow. our hands are really tied. But then we realized boating. We can wipe down the gunnels of a canoe or the cockpit of a kayak with the things, and, and we could also spray down PFDs. We actually purchased different PFDs, cheaper PFDs, so that as they wore down.
4: What is a PFD?
1: Uh, PFD is a life jacket. Okay. But we didn't want to ruin the really expensive, comfortable ones that we have for our outings. And mm. so, we were able to purchase some more economical ones that work fine for our lake here on campus. But that, you know, over time, that'll wear down. So, we wipe everything down. We, we give time and space for everything. We distance, like, everything else here on campus. When we're hiking 10 feet because we're, we're working out, we're exercising, everything else is six, masks for everything. The staff do a really good mm. job of it. We've incorporated that in their training, and they've done an amazing job.
0: And how can people get connected with that?
1: There's two places that you can sign up for any of our programs. One, you can go to the rec portal. That is campusrec.wm.edu. And you can go there and sign up for any of our programs as well as any other campus recreation mm. programs. Uh, You can also use the William & Mary app. If you haven't downloaded that yet to your phone or your tablet, you can download that, go right in, find the outdoor programs, and link through and sign up for those programs online.
4: On the William & Mary Wellness app? You mentioned earlier about, you know, we try to keep these fiscally responsible. So from a financial standpoint, how much do these things cost?
1: Well, right now, they're, they're... very inexpensive because we're on campus. We're not paying for transportation. We're not paying for campsites. We're not paying, uh, you know, with food and then with staff. So, I believe we're charging $10 for the campouts, wow. the overnight campouts, and most everything else is free right now. It's, it's free to do the boating once the boathouse opens. It's free to go to the campfires, but you do have to register because we have to keep the numbers in check with, you know, we're trying to keep from having our crowds build up and people see the campfires and they want to come over and see what's going on. And so, we are requiring registration to do that.
4: If someone wanted to lead one of these, or to become a leader, how do they do that?
1: Oh, that's a great question too. We actually are just about to open up our hiring because we need to start training for our next semester since there is so much training. We have an application process. We usually make an announcement through a number of different avenues to let people know we are going to be hiring for trip leaders. And that's hiring for the next semester, but there's so much training required Um, that we try to get people hired early. And then there are certain training commitments. And some of those commitments might be right after this semester, having a week-long backcountry living skills training before they go away for their summer uh, and those types of things. And then there's a whole series of trainings that'll go on throughout the semester. So you fill out an application, there's an interview process. I will say one of the unique parts of our process is that you actually have to teach us something. Mm. And so, we provide you a little information about that, and you'll have a small teaching session as part of your interview if you get an interview. It is highly competitive. I will tell you, we usually have 45 to 50 people apply to be a trip leader.
4: For how many slots?
1: Uh, For anywhere from 5 to 10 slots. Good gravy. And I got to tell you, these are amazing, amazing applications. I mean, there are people who don't get an interview that I would have hired immediately anywhere (laughs) else. William & (laughs) Mary students are absolutely amazing. And people as... uh, Willa and Daria mentioned, come in with a lot of experience. I mean, we have people who are competitive skiers or, you know, they have tons of horseback riding experience or they've hiked the Appalachian through trail. There's so many experience that these students bring. It really adds to the richness of our program.
0: What a strong leadership program. That's really great to hear.
4: Folks, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. So, we've had Willa Moffat, Daria Moody, and Michael White, all from our Campus Recreation Center.
0: And thanks again for being here with us. Thank you to our sponsors, United Healthcare, for the support of this podcast. Ways to Flourish is produced by Colin Cross, Brittany Emmons, Lindsay Heck, Eric Garrison, Daria Moody, Jenny Hellmendoller, and Ben Heath. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.